Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Wednesday. we got a special show for you previewing the USC Trojans and the Arizona State Sun Devils with my good buddy, my pal, Chris Cartman from sundevilsource.com. He does a great job covering the Arizona State Sun Devils. No one does it better. We were at Rivals together. We were at Scout together. Now we're at 24-7 together. We've been everywhere, Chris. You're just reminding me that we're not that young anymore, right? <laughs> <laughs> you got to be young living in Tempe. Come on, man. You, you know, that, that's just, you got, you got to keep, it's got to keep you young. That perma sun does keep you going. <laughs> I was actually at the, I was on the beach this morning playing a little volleyball, jumped in the ocean. So we, we got some pretty good weather here, but not as, not as warm as you guys have it out there in the desert. Yeah. We can't complain about too much. Let's put it that way. It's pretty good. West coast, West coast living is pretty good. It's funny. Um, yeah, have it. Yeah, it's just it's just something that you think about. You're like, I'm pretty happy. Like I was, I jumped in the ocean this morning. I'm like, you know, my my family might be in snow in a couple of days in, in Massachusetts, and like I feel pretty good that I'm uh, swimming in the ocean, and it's really nice. Well, you 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 have to kind of remind yourself of the things that you have every day, and yet most other people don't get it <laughs> <laughs> because it's very easy to sort of take those things for granted. Uh, and, and you don't want to do that because then you know, something might happen and you might not get some of those things. And then you'd be like, Whoa, that, that's, that's not good. No. And, uh, yeah, like people retire where you live. Like they go, you know, like we have golf vacations to go, you know, from Southern California, like let's go to Scottsdale and go play some golf. You know, it's like, it's, it's pretty good life. Well, we, we, you know, we have it pretty good. These poor players, these poor coaches, it's, it's got to be a grind right now, right? Like just, you know, game eight or week nine we're going into. Um, it's I don't know, man. The, the Pac-12 South is such a cluster right now. I, I'm curious to see how some of these players react. It should be an interesting weekend. Of, of course, this weekend with uh, USC and Arizona State. Um, I don't know. Is it, is it kind of like this, this time of the season where it's just like, man, it's just it just keeps going on and on? Well, I think you make a really good point there because uh, – performance largely depends on uh, how hard you're working, your buy-in, your, your, your mental uh, uh, focus. And if you're USC and you're, you know, you're used to, or you have these expectations of being 10 win minimum seasons. And if you don't win the South, it's a calamity or you're, or you're at ASU. And now you're, you're in, in October and you have, uh, and you're sitting in the bottom of the Pac-12 South, and you've lost a bunch of close games. Uh, it, that has the the possibility of undermining your preparation and your focus. And so I think the, the point is that you have to be able to bring that, even when you're feeling like, okay, you know, the season is, you know, maybe not going to lead to the 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 pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. It's just not going to, that's probably not going to happen, you know, relative to our expectations going into the season. So I just want to see, I think that's a sign of uh, the the maturity of a a program, the buy-in of the players 
and uh, how good a coaching staff does at getting guys prepared in a week in week out basis in the last four or five weeks of the season. You know, and it seems like I know, you know, we talk I'm glad we talked during our preview show for the podcast of champions. You know, there was this like, oh, Herm Edwards, this is a joke. He hasn't been around college football for 30 years and all this kind of stuff. But, you know, you bring in a guy like uh, Danny Gonzalez. There's a lot of really good, you know, uh, recruiting, like assistants that are good at recruiting, bringing guys in from Southern California. A lot of Southern California players on this Arizona State uh, football team. And I, we talked off the air. This is what I've been kind of saying. And tell me if I'm wrong or not. But it just seems like this is an eight and eight football team they haven't given up more, uh, like nfl football team they haven't given up more than 28 points all year to anybody you know they played washington they played played michigan state haven't done, done that at all you know played stanford played colorado no one scored more than 28 points and every game they've lost it's been by seven points it's it's like it just feels like this is an nfl squad where any given week arizona state could roll out and play well and win or they could lose and it just i don't know if that's the the feeling you get but it, to me it's like a, a pretty well coached team because it seems like they got their stuff together and, you know, it might take a little while to finish some games, but they're, they're doing all right. Well, yeah, it's, it's, it does feel like that, but it's also by design that it is that way. And they've actually, since, uh, since losing to San Diego state in particular, they've sort of calibrated to playing in the way that they thought would put them in games against even perhaps more talented and or experienced teams into the fourth quarter where they feel like they would have an opportunity to win if they executed well. And, and that hasn't worked out for them. And that's why they've lost four games by seven points each uh, and, and, and not taken advantage of some opportunities that they had in some of those games. But what they've done essentially is they've improved their run game capability quite a bit. Uh, they went to more, more gap scheme type running power uh, counter type runs where you're coming downhill and uh, firing off at people. And then what they've done more recently after that, after making that change uh, is they've started to get more play actions and bootlegs building off of that. And it seems like they've kind of been um, a little bit behind schedule of what I expected offensively, but what they're trying to do is they're trying to, get good harmony between their offense and their defense um, in a model that Herm Edwards is comfortable with. And that that's when you talk about like his NFL eight and eight type tenure. Um, I think that's what it, what it goes to. He wants, he says uh, run game and defense travel. And so after this year, um, ASU is going to lose Manny Wilkins and they're going to lose Nikhil Harry. And so what are they going to hang their hats on? I think they're thinking about that already right now. And so, you know, Benjamin's a sophomore and he's like this number two guy in the, in the conference probably uh, as a rusher. Uh, and he's, he's put up some numbers that we haven't really seen much of ASU uh, in, in recent seasons. And um, the run, you know, the, the, the run game is surrounded by some complimentary pieces they have a, a pretty good offensive line. Um, a couple of those guys are seniors, but they'll, they'll, they have enough experience and talent that they'll be able to uh, probably still have this run game capability into next season when they're young and inexperienced defense, but it's still performing at a pretty good uh, uh, rate is older and sort of better. So, so 
yeah, I mean, the whole idea of Herm Edwards is a joke. I think that's that's even though ASU is three and four and 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 dissatisfied with how the season's gone to this point because of the close losses and losing those 50-50 games, uh, there's there's no not really that sort of sense that oh this is going to be like a farce whatsoever that 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 really doesn't uh, occupy any space in town anymore. Yeah, with, I mean, obviously the defense is doing its job. Uh, Danny Gonzalez coming over from San Diego State. Uh, I want to like we'll talk on the offensive side first a little bit because uh, you know, we we praised you know Manny Wilkins who's got a lot of experience. Uh, I know he was blaming himself Thursday night for the uh, the loss at Stanford he didn't play that well at least early on. Uh, Nikhil Harry is one of the studs, but you know there's a bunch of studs kind of coming into this year and a few of them haven't maybe played up to their billing uh, with. Uh, you know, uh, uh, Bryce Love and uh, Khalil Tate and stuff like that. But, you know, you guys got like guys like Chenault and, and Harry are just studs out there. You can tell. And then you told me before the season, you know, Benjamin was going to like, you know, make you forget about uh, DeMario Richards and uh, who's the other guy? I forget. But like, you it, know, it's Belage, yeah, Kevin yeah, Balazs. Um, so and I, I think that's been right. I mean, he's run the ball really well. Uh, what, what have you made so far of this uh, Arizona State offense this year? Well, definitely. Uh, it's, it's been as I expected in some respects and then, and then a little bit different in others. Uh, the, the Manny Wilkins has played, I would say overall equivalently to last season. I don't think he's taken another step forward, which I anticipated he may have been able to do. He's had some missed throws, especially down the field, just like three or four balls, maybe five balls that if he hit on, in a couple games, it would have been the difference, uh, and maybe ASU is 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 a game or two ahead of 500 at this point. And um, and, and I think in this transition to Rob Likens as the offensive coordinator, that's gotten a lot of criticism. I think people are concerned about the create creativity of the scheme uh, in in terms of. The, comparing ASU to Colorado, for example, and how LaVisca Chenault uh, gets the football in, in a wider variety of ways and, and misdirections compared with Nikhil Harry. And um, so I, I think that's that's another element that's probably a little bit concerning to fans. Now, it's kind of weird. What we've seen is, is the team has been better in some metrics that are really – important and the coaches cite a lot like yards per play points per possession uh turnover margin they've they've done really well in those categories uh but it hasn't really translated into the number of points that they've had in in some recent seasons and that's primarily attributable to bogging down a little bit too much in the opponent territory uh some costly missed opportunities when they've gone for it on fourth down in two games, they had missed fourth downs um, deep in opponent territory that, that proved crucial in, in, in one score losses and uh, just some other little things like that. Like uh, Stanford was their first game where they really turned the football over. They, they, in their first six games, they only had two turnovers. They were leading the country. And then, and then they had three, uh, last Thursday against Stanford, Wilkins had two on his own. Uh, and then he had a really poor execution of a two-minute drive at the end of the game. ASU ended um, on a check down 
uh, and couldn't get another playoff from Stanford's 18-yard line down a touchdown. Like that, that just can't happen. Um, but again, it's just it's just um, they're definitely capable, and and uh, but they 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 seem to have some games where they run the ball really well, some games where they throw the ball pretty successfully but they haven't really put it all together to where their run and their play action stuff and their big shots down the field have all been there. And that's been maybe the, the bigger surprise in the season for me is that they just haven't done that given what some of the, the pieces, I, I would just say the pieces haven't, um, the sum hasn't equaled the pieces. Gotcha. Um, Makes sense. On the defensive side of the ball, I know there was a lot to replace, I think especially up the middle, right? Like inside linebackers and safeties and a couple of defensive linemen. Um, What, you know, obviously the group is playing pretty well. No one scored more than 28 points all season. Um, I mean, how much is the scheme? How much have been some of the young guys playing? I know there's, you know, some freshmen playing. Uh, Merlin uh, Robertson, who's someone that USC sort of recruited, but I think maybe kind of backed off on is, is absolutely crushing it. Uh, for the Sun Devils, but kind of give us the thoughts on the defensive side. Yeah, so it's it's everybody knew that this was this was going to be where they needed a, a major overhaul, and and it would be a transitional season. But they've done better than anybody's expectations, uh, especially when you look at their personnel. So, for example, their three leading tacklers, Jalen Harvey, Merlin Robertson, and Darian Butler, either did not play defense last season or were not even in college last season. Um, Merlin Robertson has been a very good as a freshman linebacker. He's definitely going to be a freshman All-American. Uh, Darian Butler is another kid from the LA area. He went to Narbonne High School. He's starting as an inside linebacker, uh, and he's third in, on the team in tackles. ASU was his only Pac-12 offer. Um, ASU has three freshmen, those two guys plus Ashari Crosswell from USC who had, a, I believe, a USC offer at least at one point, um, uh, or from Long Beach Poly, pardon me, who had a USC offer at, at one point. Um, all three of them have played over 350 snaps this season. ASU is the only team that, in the country at the, uh, the, the Power 5 level that has three freshmen who have played over 350 snaps, and they're all on the ASU team. So that, <laughs> that's crazy, right? That's like mind-blowing. And it illustrates just how young and inexperienced that really they are. There's only three players. Uh, Rennell Wren, who's a, a, a very good nose tackle. He, you're gonna, this game is going to be – that's going to be an interesting matchup with Rennell Wren in the A-gap and what he can do to disrupt uh, uh, a team from getting into what it wants to do offensively uh, with its inside run. Um, and then uh, the other two are their corners. Uh, Chase Lucas is a sophomore who started last year. was a freshman All-American. Kobe Williams is a junior who started last year. They're pretty good corners. Not great, but, but um, I would say at least probably a little better than average in the league. And, and, but the crazy stat here that really illustrates what they're doing, they've given up only three plays on the season longer than 40 yards. And that was a, a, a stat, Ryan, in which ASU was last nationally over the last combined three seasons. So they've gone from being just a team that that everybody gashed and threw the ball over the top of to a team that makes you sustain drives and uh, and has a hard time putting up a big number on the scoreboard. At least that's been the case to, the, to this point in the season. And I know USC's... Uh, <laughs> 
They're I mean, bad at sustaining drives. It's big play or bust. Right. And so that's, that's going to be another interesting uh, uh, component of this game is the, the athleticism of USC on the perimeter if, if they're going to be able to take advantage of ASU secondary in a way that other opponents haven't this season. Because if not, uh, I think this is going to be a, a close game that's not high scoring at all. Yeah, that's uh, we've seen this USC offense uh, struggle. Um, I, you know, a couple weeks ago against Colorado, it was like a flurry in the second quarter where they got you know uh, three, you know, basically three big plays leading to you know three touchdowns, and uh, that was that they kind of were shut down the rest of the game. Um, I think they had 200 yards in that second quarter and 134 yards total in the the rest of the game, and then against Utah, it was like a you know short field freaky. Should have been a sack, should have been an interception, touchdown, you know, a big play, and a scoop and score on the defensive side. And then they didn't score really again until uh, Matt Fink came in in the fourth quarter and, and got some, you know, gar- that wasn't garbage, but it was, you know, it, it wasn't against the starters and stuff. So we've we've seen this team struggle. We don't know what the the, the quarterback situation is going to be. My gut is that JT Daniels ends up playing, but he's not, you know, we haven't seen him practice this week yet. But the... For this is a perfect Arizona State defense. If you force USC to sustain drives, they have just not shown the ability to do that this year. Wow. Yeah, and that's I think that's going to be really interesting because um, even though ASU has forced opponents to do that, I don't know that we've seen a team that has the big play weapons. I think JT he's like he has a really great deep ball. I know he's been really inconsistent, but you have these athletic big play receivers at USC and ASU has struggled at times with that, or they've had some penalties here and there uh, and they've given up just only a few big plays, but I feel like they've outperformed themselves maybe in that area, which is, which is perhaps indicative of of, um, being ripe to have some, some, some more big plays given up. Uh, I think Ashari Crosswell is a really key pair to watch in this game because they, they play him on the field side safety and there's a lot of man coverage situations or, or just conflict that he's going to be in. And I think um, he had three penalties that he was called on, although one was you know a bad call. But in the, in the last week against Stanford with J.J. Arcega-Whiteside uh, and, and Trent Irwin um, kind of trying to, to challenge that. So I think that's something that USC will, will – will have the opportunity to do. Now my guess is we'll see ASU uh, be, ASU has creative pressures and they're not going to sit back and just let him operate in the pocket and, 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 and take some big play shots without trying to get to him. Um, so I think, I think they'll, they'll mix up their coverages. They'll mix up blitzes. They'll, they'll try to keep USC off schedule on early downs by playing in the backfield. That's something they did really well against Stanford they had double-digit tackles for loss against Stanford so that Stanford was behind the chains. And it's a gap cancellation type of a scheme where guys sort of they, – they seem to come from unexpected areas uh, and not in a – kind of more of an asymmetrical type of a, a pass rush. And that's, that's given opponents some problems. So I think we need to see – how USC handles that from a protection standpoint, the line of scrimmage. Yeah, the uh, offensive line has not played well. Uh, it sounds just from you describing it complicated, and I think that 
<laughs> that yeah, probably doesn't going to bode well. For <laughs> but you do a great job. You you know the X's and O's really well. That's why I love uh, talking to you. But that's we've seen. I think they've got better uh, on the pass protection side. I think the offensive line has improved. They they're not very good at 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 run blocking. But the earlier in the season was when you would see like four rushers somehow overpower or confuse seven blockers and then still let someone get to the quarterback. So we haven't seen as much of that lately. Yeah. So, yeah, I watched a lot of the, the Utah game. And I know that was rough for USC at the point of attack uh, and trying to run the ball. What ASU's defense does, that's, that's, it, it's, it's unlike any of the defenses in the Pac-12. It's, it's um, you know, Danny Gonzalez came from San Diego State. And it's, it's a defense that really um, is unique to college football that Rocky Long sort of devised from taking pieces of, uh, of different schemes. But the, what makes it hard is offensive linemen, they can't fire off the ball and have confidence that they know where the pressure is going to be coming from uh, in, on some of the run blitzes or some of just the pressures. And so what happens, I've noticed, is that uh, opposing offensive lines, they tend to be kind of hesitant firing off the line of scrimmage. And the USC zone blocking stuff, um, that hasn't gotten a push uh, against against some of the better opponents this season. And so I think that's the, that's the type of thing that, that could be a problem in this game for the Trojans. Yeah, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll see. Uh, one last thing, I, I mean, well, we'll get to your kind of thoughts on what you think is going to happen. But the on the special teams front, I believe... Sun Devils bring back a kicker and a punter, uh, some new faces in the return game. What have you seen from Herm Edwards' first stint uh, with his special teams? They've been good in some respects. Uh, Zane, they have a, they have a, a really good – Zane Gonzalez was a great kicker um, for, for years at ASU, Groza Award and all that stuff. And they've replaced him with Brandon Ruiz, who um, is also really talented. Uh, their punter – is a returning starter from last season who's done a, a very good job of pinning opponents deep for the most part um, in, in inside 20 kicks. Last week wasn't as good. They're very good at, at uh, you're not going to have kickoff returns because the ball is going to be out of the end zone and, and punt returns. They haven't really given up any. Um, their areas where they're weaker are in their own return game. It's it's been some bad decisions on kickoff return, taking balls out of the end zone that shouldn't be that have led to poor field position, and then their their punt return situation is pretty shaky to the point where uh, there's been some muffs and some some bad decisions to field balls inside the five, and they actually put Nikhil Harry back there uh, quite a bit in the last four weeks or so. Um, as a result of that, and now he was banged up last game, and so they were hesitant to do it, but he he may be back in that role this week because Brandon Ayuk, who's a junior college receiver transfer, um, he's he's basically um, you know back into that back into that role, but he had a, a muff punt in the last game. The uh, just kind of wrap things up, I guess. Uh, how do you see this one uh, playing out? The Sun Devils lost their last couple; they had a bye week. Uh, in between, this will be sort of a homecoming for a lot of the Sun Devil players coming back to LA. Um, I'm curious to see, you know, I, I have no idea at this point. It's a 12:30 kickoff in the Coliseum. Uh, we've seen USC play well, well, not that well, but play okay sometimes and play poorly. Arizona State seems a little bit more consistent. 
do you kind of feel this is a game where, you know, Manny Wilkins and Nikhil Harry kind of get things going and, and they could put up a, a pretty good show in the Coliseum? Uh, I, I think that's going to have to happen in order for ASU to win. Um, but ASU hasn't, hasn't won on the road. Yeah, Clay Helton's undefeated. I mean, he's, he's, they've been bad away from, away from the Coliseum, but they're undefeated at home, yeah. <laughs> which True. is kind of, kind of crazy. And uh, I just, my sense is that ASU will probably just be another game where they lose by a touchdown or, or, or less. And, and not a, not a game in which either side or either side's fans come away saying that they played particularly well. Um, you know, I, I haven't picked like a final score or anything like that, but maybe something like 31, 24 or thereabouts. Yeah. I think I'm, I'm right about there yeah. with you, but we, you know, we'll see this is if, if JT Daniels doesn't play, um, I just don't see this team putting up more than 28 points. I can't see USC scoring the most points on Arizona State than they've had all year. Uh, we'll see, but um, I, I'm curious. I'm I'm really curious to see what this looks like with the, you know, I've watched a lot of the Arizona State games, but I haven't got to see them in person. So I'm I'm curious to see uh, what this team looks like in person and and really what USC does after having they got a lot of guys banged up on defense and then you know obviously the quarterback position. You're not sure what's going to happen there. Yeah. Well, if if, if Daniels does play. Uh, I, I think what we're going to see is USC is going to max protect a lot with seven guys and and to try to buy him time. And they're going to they're going to be throwing shots. You're, you're going to see USC with probably six to eight big play shots down the field in this game. And if and if they connect on two or three of them. I think USC is probably going to win. And if they don't, I think I think that that's where ASU has a chance. If it can do enough on its own uh, offensive end that, that maybe it can steal one. Yeah. We'll see. Uh, only three plays you said, right? Over 40 yards. Uh, yeah. This defense yeah. given up after being last in the country last year. Um, uh, not last year, but over the last three years combined. Oh, over the last three years. Okay. Um, yeah. So, that's where USC kind of gets the, the, the bread and butter of the USC offense. So we'll see which uh, I, I agree with. You. I think USC needs is going to need some big plays to uh, mm-hmm. be able to do that because they did. You know, this is a great defense that's not going to give up big plays, but they're not. You know, they're going to make you do sustained drives, and we just haven't seen them be able to do that. Now, last week they only had two penalties, so that was an improvement. But they really just their success rate on uh, on for the running game was 24%. It was really, really bad against Utah. So they're, they're going to have to do a lot better than that if they want any chance here. Well, we'll be there from our press row perch taking a look at it. and We'll, we'll see if uh, some of our prognostications end up right or not. Yeah. When, when are you getting in? Uh, I'm coming in on, on Friday. Probably get, probably, uh, get in around late afternoon Friday. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Look for it. So they the way it's temporary press box now. You're in a different, like whole different box car than we're in. So it's just kind of they have oh, it really? separate. Yeah, like there's it's almost like uh, shipping containers that we're like that are in. They're like piled in like a 45 rows up. It's a, it's going to be a different perspective because you're not really high up. Yeah, it's weird. I also saw that they're they're. The, I mean, this doesn't matter to your audience, but the media parking is all the way over by Galen Center. Like, <laughs> it is. It's like, uh, so I'm looking forward to this. This is going to be awesome. <laughs> it's a, you know, for the fans though, too, it's a different 
um, Coliseum experience because there's no paid parking at the Coliseum anymore. There will be more next year. Like it'll be better next year, but this year you can't walk all the way around the, the, the Coliseum because there's the construction and everything. So it's a lot different than, uh, what I'm curious to see what the, you know, what the 1230 kick, what the, uh, attendance is like. they actually did a little bit better than I thought they would for the, uh, Friday game against, Washington State when they were one and one and two they they, they had like fifty two thousand which is more than I thought. Um, I'm curious to see because they haven't been looking great what it looks like in there. But yeah, you're right. It's it's different for the fans. It's different for us. And uh, the next year is what we get to see what the the finished product will look like and how different that will be. Well, that should be good. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it was overdue. Yeah, it was it was overdue. I'm not. Most of us don't really care for the design where they're building a building inside of a stadium, but whatever, you know, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. For us, it should be good. So your next trip in uh, in two years, you know, you'll be able to walk up marble staircases to the the press box. So it's gonna be. I think it'll be a nice experience for us, but uh, we'll see. But that's okay. Chris, Chris Cartman, uh, you can follow the site on Twitter at Sun Devil Source. And Chris does an amazing job uh, covering all things Sun Devil, so make sure you check him out. Chris, thank you so much for uh, coming on the show. I love it. Always my pleasure, Ryan. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Chris. All right. Thanks to Chris. He does an amazing job, like I said, uh, covering the Sun Devils. I wanted to just answer a few of your questions. There was, you know, we did, uh, we've done a bunch of shows already this week. We did our emergency one Sunday, uh, had uh, well, Sunday morning, Harvey Hyde had on Sunday afternoon when I got back from Utah. Uh, we ended up putting, uh, we having Dan Weber on um, and answering a bunch of your questions with him. And we also had Colin Coward. I did a uh, tunnel vision show with him with, with me and Keeley and Colin. And he did, you know, pulled no punches as far as talking about the USC uh, administration, the USC coaching staff. So we put that up in podcast form too. So you should be able to get that on your iTunes or Google Play or whatever your app there. So that that was up. And then uh, obviously this one probably have uh, another Tunnel Vision tomorrow. I don't know if we'll do a podcast with it, but um, the Keeley, your and uh, Shotgun Spratling will do their Family Feud podcast too. So you should have a lot of podcasts listen to uh, listen to along the way. All right. My rule about reading long emails is I don't like to read long emails, but I this I have to read this one. This is from Andrew in West LA because. I was walking onto a plane uh, to go to Utah and someone, I, I think Andrew was like sitting right in the third row and just hold, as soon as I'm walking by, holds up his phone and it's showing he's listening to the Peristyle podcast. So I kind of have to listen, I have to read it. What well, I haven't read it yet, but I'm going to have to read it because I read that part of it that this was Andrew. So Andrew, good to see you on the plane. Uh, he says, apologies for the long email, but I optimistically flew to Utah last week to watch my Trojans compete for the top spot in the Pac-12 South. I give you a shout out on the plane when you happened to walk by me while I was listening to your game preview. And I was obviously disappointed. I know the buck stopped with Clay Helton, but I think a ton of his issues could be solved by getting rid of T. Martin. You guys have talked at length about how Sam Darnold covered up a lot of his previous play calling issues, so I won't go there. But now that T has full control of the play calling, it's so obvious that he is not the right guy for the job. Last offseason when Tennessee was looking for a head coach, I was very optimistic that Phil Fulmer would hire T away, but obviously Fulmer did his homework and saw that while he's a great recruiter, T is a terrible play caller. His own coach, uh, who he won a national championship with, championship with, didn't even want him. Red flag. Helton said at the beginning of the season that we would have to rely on the defense to win games, but an offense that is consistently going three and out, can't finish drives, has no flow, 
and has no sense of urgency while down by 20 points in the second half will never put its defense in a position to contend and win games. It's so demoralizing to a defense to stop a team and force a punt, but then have to turn right around and go back to the field because the offense couldn't even muster a first down. It's gotten to the point where T is so bad at his job that he's affecting the other coach's ability to perform. Worst of all, he is completely unable to take any criticism when pressed about why things don't work in his quote-unquote scheme. He automatically blames the execution of his players instead of taking ownership as if his plan could never be wrong and he could never be outcoached. Yeah, right. Many also say he's a great recruiter, and I agree with that, but USC has always and will always be able to recruit top talent to come and play. So my question is, this is where the question comes in. I've been reading for an hour. Okay, so the question is, how can anyone justify keep, keeping him around anymore? Thank you, Andrew in West LA. Whew, okay, a lot to unpack, Andrew in West LA, but, but I have to because you showed me that you were listening to the podcast on the plane. Um, there were so many people that came up to us. Uh, me and Keely were like, man, they're everywhere. People are loving it, especially on the road games. Like the, the road people, if you guys travel, you care about the team a lot. So you're more, more likely to listen to our show or, or read our website and things like that. So I, I have a little bit different take. I, I know some of the stuff that was going on with Tennessee. Um, and I feel like there was a, a bunch of people at Tennessee that did want to bring him in, not necessarily as a head coach, but you know, in some capacity. And I, I think Phil Fulmer and Peyton Manning were, uh, I, I think Phil, from what I was told, you know, wanted some part of that, but I think the, the Peyton Manning camp and the, uh, the, the Haslam camp, uh, did not, um, I think there might be some, some bad blood, not on the T Martin side, but on the, the, the Peyton Manning side from this total, you know, stuff that we had heard. My wife is, you know, tied into a lot of the stuff at Tennessee and it, it broke her heart because she likes T and she like you know, she loves those guys, T and Peyton. And to hear that, you know, maybe Peyton doesn't, I, I don't know if it's just whatever, there's some kind of uh feud there because T won a national championship and Peyton did not. I don't know, but that's what we had kind of heard. So I wouldn't put a whole lot into that. I think a lot of people did want him back at Tennessee and it's hard for me. I know there's been a lot of people calling for, for T Martin's head. And it's, to me, it's hard to say, like I, I, in my heart, I don't believe this was an offense that's designed and created by, by T Martin. I, I feel like it's, it's less about the play calling or whatever play you're going to call which I still feel like Clay Helton is involved in that uh, in, in some way, maybe, you know, some ways more than others. But I really feel it's the design of the offense, like where, the route trees, where did all this stuff come from? And I can't tell you that this is an offense that T. Martin created. I kind of feel like it's this hodgepodge of, you know, stuff left over from Sark and Kiffin. And, and I feel like Clay Helton has a, a huge hand in that. I don't know for sure. And it's really hard to kind of pin this down. I do feel like there's times, like I asked T. Martin after the Stanford game, like, isn't this team just way too talented to score three points? Like, it's kind of simple. Like, there's more talent on the field than, you know, you, you should be able to muster more than three points. And he's like, you know, he, he told me like talent really doesn't matter. It's really about execution. So I, I think there's some times where he could go back and go, you know what? I, I know we got a five-star quarterback. I know there's five-star receivers to throw to. And I know the offensive line is, you know, most everyone's returning as starters and veterans and look at all that. Like, and you got four and five-star running backs in the backfield and, and, you know, talented tight ends. We have to do better. Like there's no, I, it's not about execution. or We are just too talented 
to be performing at this level. I'd love to see not just him, but Clay Helton. And anybody. I don't, it's hard to play, put the blame for me on T. Martin when there's other coaches doing the same thing. To me, it's floating up to the top. And I feel like the, the odds are that a lot of this offense is has to do with with Clay Helton. And, you know, is, is T. Martin's hands tied at some point? You know, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But in general, it's the offense. I'm not going to say fire T. Martin and that fixes the offense. I, I couldn't guarantee you that that not, I mean, that you get rid of him and you don't bring someone else that is running the same offense, that this gumbo kind of offense. So I think whatever it is, if, if T. Martin had some, I don't know if he has some brilliant offensive scheme that he's not being able to use or you hire someone uh, from outside, whatever it is, it's like you got to change the offense. And I don't know firing T. Martin changes the offense. I think, I think you have to change the offense. That's what I would kind of focus on. But thank you for that uh, long question. Then I give you a long answer. We got John T. in Fountain Valley first. Oh, great. We got numbers here. The difference between USC and the elite teams, Alabama, Notre Dame, Clemson, Ohio State, is that the USC coaches don't develop the players. I think that's fair in some aspects, but there's some players that have been developed. And, you know, maybe that's up to the guy, but you take a Uchenna and Wusu, who is a three-star dude and, uh, you know, an NFL draft pick, a second-day draft pick. So I think there's been some player development. I think there's certain groups where there isn't. And I think the offensive line is case number one, two, and three that you need to be doing better uh, at that because they are guys, and Colin Coward talked about this on our Tunnel Vision show, you recruited offensive linemen that other people wanted, like Bama, Notre Dame, Clemson, Ohio State, like recruit those same guys. But those guys, the guys that they get are putting in, you're getting in the NFL and the guys that USC are getting are not. So uh, I think I think there's some aspects of player development, but I'm, I'm not saying it's everywhere. I think T. Martin does a great job developing wide receivers. Like they put dudes in the NFL all the time. So it just depends for me on the position. He said, second, if USC doesn't hire some quality coaches real soon, they will be losing all of their recruits. Uh, these recruits aren't stupid. Sam Darnold didn't return because the coaching was better in the NFL. Thanks a lot, John T. and Fountain Valley. Um, I wouldn't worry about recruiting all that much. I think you get the right person in there. Um, you're going to get recruits. So I, I know that's an issue. One of the inherent advantages of being at USC is you can recruit. And so you get the right person in there. I mean, Clayhill is a good recruiter. Uh, if it's just not a lot of turmoil, you'll get plenty of guys. If you get a really good head coach, you're going to get plenty of guys. I mean, this is a, this is a, you know, they're putting really good classes together and half the staff doesn't recruit. Like that's, you can recruit at USC with one hand tied behind your back. So I wouldn't worry about it too much. You'd have to worry if like they just keep the same coaching staff and don't get rid of them. And the, the underperforming just keeps happening. Then I think over time that would hurt. Uh, let's see. So this was at the Utah game. Third quarter. Time for the Trojans to show us what they're made of. Ute score with about four minutes left in the third. Uh, we now know they're what they're made of. Cotton candy next year. Um, I don't, there was no name associated with this one, but that was just a comment, I guess. Uh, this one looks like it's from Steve. Oh yeah. Steve. Uh, this is for anyone who is brave enough to field it. It's going to be me, Steve. This disaster does not fall on coach Helton. Okay. This is curious. If someone paid me $3 million a year to race a Ferrari, I would do it. Would you blame me? Don't focus all the anger on Helton. He's taking the opportunity handed to him as unqualified as he is. This is more about the state of the USC athletic department. We need new blood. Too many people have seen have, have been there too long. 
and the compliance department scares too many people. We need a new media personnel, training staff, strength and conditioning, and the uh, obvious coaching staff replacement until all these changes have been done. Buckle up, my fellow Trojan alumni uh, and Trojan fans. It's going to be a rough ride. Steven San Diego, a free people ought not to be armed, but disciplined. George Washington. Best regards from Steve. Well, thanks, Steve. Um, yeah, well, here's the problem. You, you ended up hiring two athletic directors in a row with no athletic director or college administration experience. And I will go, I mean, I will tell you up and down. If you took all the major decisions from Pat Hayden and did the opposite, the USC, the University of Southern California would be a much better spot than it is right now. Like literally you had two interim coaches. The one that would have worked out better, you got rid of the one that wouldn't have worked out. That didn't have the kind of success that was never head coach before besides being an interim coach at USC, uh, that's the one you hire. So it's so many bad decisions. Um, and, you know, that's that's the way it is. But now you have Lynn Swan, and he's never done this before either. So are you going to expect a lot of changes? When you bring in someone, if you brought in a sitting athletic director, then you'd have a much better chance of getting the changes that you were asking for because the sitting athletic director has done this before, would come in and see I'm sure there's a lot of things that work well and he would see those and he would see a lot of the things that don't work well and he would change those. Lin Swan doesn't know because he's never done this before. So he's going to come in and be a CEO and just have everything be exactly the same as it was before. So I don't think when you're making a change like that, your goal is to not change anything. Um, you basically just wanted to replace Pat Hayden with another Pat Hayden. And I kind of think that's what they did. All right. This is from Don. We all owe Helton an apology. We all knew Helton could coach a team under to underperform, but to take a talented team and make them look pathetic, actually not even being competitive, Helton has far exceeded our expectations. Ooh, that's kind of harsh. Don't believe Helton will ever be fired, so we should appreciate him. Maybe USC can become a Division II team. So, Don, I guess you're a glass-half-full kind of guy. Uh, yeah, I'll just let that one sit there. Ryan McGill wrote in, long-time listener, enjoy the podcast. As a West Coast transplant and an East Coaster, uh, you and others helped to keep us connected with the program. Uh, put simply, did I just see a quote-unquote turnover cape? And if so, why? It seems like a gimmick move uh, of crap teams looking for some juice. And why hasn't this been a quote-unquote thing from the beginning? Perhaps the coaching staff has rabbit ears, sort of like running I-form for a player or two a few weeks ago, for a player or two in response to rampant Rampant uh, media criticism. Hard to envision Alabama doing this. That's from Ryan. Love your name, Ryan. Um, yeah, I didn't see it uh, except for on the the rewatch. I think I think Chris Trevino's got some film of it, and I didn't see that. Uh, yeah, not a huge fan of that. Uh, the turnover cape and and things. It's just and USC hasn't forced a lot of turnovers, so maybe that's why you haven't seen it. We got one last one from Bob. Hey, Ryan. Uh, always a great show. Here's my question. Last year, SC was 127th out of 130 teams in penalties. The nearest Pac-12 team was Utah at 96th. That means, uh, there were 30 teams other than the Pac-12 teams with less penalties than USC. How could Shotgun keep saying, look at where we are playing. It's a Pac-12 when obviously, uh, if the Pac-12 was the worst conference, why aren't all the Pac-12 teams hovering around the bottom like SC? If we keep trending this year with the same outrageous 
numbers as last year, we right back at the bottom as one of the worst teams in the NCAA penalties again. Penalties are a byproduct of undisciplined teams. Please stop making excuses for the coaches and the players. Thanks for airing my questions and concerns. Fight on from Bob. Well, USC only had two penalties against Utah. Uh, now you could argue they weren't really playing that hard, so maybe that's why. But that was a you know that's an improvement. Only two penalties. Um, and I you know I remember I didn't look back last year, but I do remember seeing um, a lot of the like it would be like five or six Pac-12 teams in like the bottom like in the bot you know the from 100 up, and then there would be some teams that were actually pretty good. So it seemed like about half the conference was usually pretty bad in the penalty category. And I think overall the Pac-12 was calling more flags. But I'd have to look this year and dig around. But last year I didn't realize that USC was 127th and then no other Pac-12 teams were in the top 100 or in the you know 100-plus range. I know other years they were. Um, so maybe that's a little bit different. All right. Well, that's going to wrap it up here. Uh, it's been a long, long week and we're only halfway through. But uh, a lot of podcasts, so... Hope you guys enjoy listening to it all. There's a lot there. I almost skipped this one, but we couldn't. I love the preview podcast. I love Chris Cartman. So we had to do it with him. Uh, Thank you so much for tuning in to the Peristyle podcast. And we will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.